good to see you all here today. And welcome if you're joining us on live stream. Um, two last Get your last-minute booking in for the men's uh, evening on Wednesday. Um, so if you haven't quite got round to it, please make sure you catch uh, James today. I'm sure this won't be a relevant announcement because I, sh- I, know, I know that people are more organised than this, but if there are any ladies who haven't quite got round to finalising their booking for the ladies' um, weekend or the ladies' Saturday... Uh, Please see Esther today, and I think you'll be able to be squeezed in. Um, Looking a little further advanced, one of the things that we're able to do as a church is partner with exciting ministries where God's people make a massive difference to the lost, to the needy, to the people that society rejects. And not this Thursday... But next Thursday, um, Caring for Life are going to be coming. They're going to be talking to us about how they share the love of Jesus with people whose society tends to throw out. They started probably 30 years ago because one of the members of their church was a social care worker. And she was heartbroken that the children that were being thrown onto the streets at 16 were being left. She felt that God's people should show the love of Jesus to them. And you know what? Some of those young people are still with them now, as much older people, as they've been shown the love of Jesus. So it's a great work. I'll put it in your diaries. Not for this Thursday, but next Thursday. It's a great privilege to be able to join and worship our God. And it's wonderful that he came to us. So when the music starts, let's stand and sing.
morning we're going to be looking again at uh, the book of Exodus. Um, we're reading from chapter 2, and that is on page 45 in the Church Bibles. And I'm going to be starting to read at verse 11. So, Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. One day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water, and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them, and watered their flock. When they came home to their father old, he said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds, and even drew water for us, and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, Then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave his daughter, gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I've been a sojourner in a foreign land. During these days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. The end of that passage has God hearing his people's groaning, seeing it, and knowing. Just before we pray, just spend a few seconds thinking what, what are the things that you have been groaning to God about this week? What, what is it that he will have heard from you? I don't know what it was that was on your list. And um, I hope, whilst I can't mention all of your needs, and in fact you probably wouldn't want me to know some of the things that you've been groaning about, We'll pray about that later. But 
There are brothers and sisters who have very significant things to groan about. And I'm really, and we're really thankful that God was able to allow us to support the Christians in Iran last month and that we were able to send £6,030 to buy Bibles which are needed for the new Christians there. But the pressure and the persecution goes on in a very real way. And if you look on the Elam website, there's a, there's a list of people who've recently been arrested. I thought it would be good in our prayer to pray, pray, for, pray for somebody called, called Anusharan. He's a man. He's 61 years old. And in September, he started his 10-year sentence in the notorious Even prison in Iran because he's a Christian. And I think... The prayer, the prayer request for me was very understated. It was, please pray for him as he adjusts to the prison circumstances. I'm sure we will do as we pray. So, let's pray. Oh Lord our God, we come to you knowing that you know us and we know that our Our natural attitude is to be so ungrateful. Oh Lord, we thank you that this week we've been fed. We have homes. We have people who love us. Oh Lord, you are so, so good to us. And Lord, if we're yours, if we're your children, we thank you that you loved us enough to send Jesus. That you sent Jesus to pay the price for our sin that while we were still your enemies, he died for us and made it possible for us to be welcomed into the family of the great king, that we belong to you. And Lord, we thank you because we know that you are a great and mighty God, that no one can take us out of your hands. And we thank you that you have promised that each one of your children will be with you forever. Oh, we ask that you'll give us grateful hearts for that and we pray that that's something that we will really look forward to. Oh Lord, we we look forward to, to being with you and seeing you face to face. But, oh Lord, we know that here and now things aren't what we want them to be. Things aren't what they should be. And we ask, Lord, that in our hearts we will groan, that we will not just shrug our shoulders and accept things as they are, but that we will groan. Oh, Lord, we groan that our relationship with you isn't as close as it should be. And it's not your fault, we know. Oh, Lord, we haven't had the time for you that we should have done. We haven't made you the centre of our lives in this last week. We've done things that we shouldn't have done. We haven't done things we should have done. Oh Lord, forgive us. Draw us back to you. Oh Lord, help us to turn from habits of turning away from you. Oh Lord, we're glad 
that you tell us that if we confess our sins, you forgive us. And we pray we'll know the joy of being forgiven. And we ask, Lord, that we will know the power of your Holy Spirit in our lives so that we have lives that are more like Jesus was. So we have a sense of your power as we speak about you. Lord, we pray that we'll want to speak about you in our everyday lives, to our friends, to our families, to each other. Oh Lord, help us to be Jesus pointers. Help us to be as full of you as we should be. And Lord, we, we live in a difficult world. Lord, there's illness, there's disease, there's, there's so many health worries and we pray that you will give those who are going through ill health, peace and grace and a sense of your presence. We pray that those who have hospital appointments and hospital procedures and even if they're in hospital, oh Lord, we pray that you will give them your peace, that you will remind them that you're good and that you're in control. And Lord, we pray especially for those who have mental turmoil, those who are are suffering in a way that is so difficult to understand, so difficult to appreciate. Our Father, we know that you are a great healer. We know that there is nothing too hard for you. And Lord, we pray that you will bring healing. Oh Lord, we thank you that you didn't just come to be a healer. You didn't just come to be a provider. Oh Lord, we thank you that you promised to provide. You promised to give us everything we need. And we ask that that will be a promise that, that we trust in. Whether that's material things or personal things. Lord, we, we are glad that you provide all things that we need. But we thank you more than that, that you came as a saviour. Oh Lord, we, we come to you, you now pleading for those that we know and love who don't know you. Oh Lord, we, we ask that you will help them to see that they are slaves to a cruel master. A master who tells them lies, who points to a promise of fulfilment and happiness which never delivers who tries to trap, to ruin and to destroy. Oh, rescue the slaves, we pray. Oh Lord, we ask that you will help them to see where they are. That you will make them turn to you. We need you to work, Lord. 
Lord, we thank you that your word is mighty and powerful. And we thank you that your word has been taught in Thrive and in Rooted. And we ask that you will give those who teach a confidence in your word. A confidence that it's mighty. A confidence that it's powerful. Oh Lord, I pray that you will give them a a real burden and a real sense of groaning for the children and young people who are there. Oh Lord, you, you know the awfulness of a life without you. Impress that on the teachers. And Lord, do, do give them answers to their prayer. Lord, do encourage them by seeing your word bearing really good fruit in the lives of many young people. Oh Lord, we pray that we will see flourishing Christians. Young people who, people who are identified by others as knowing you, as loving you. Oh Lord, we thank you for what you have done. Oh Lord, we pray that you will do more. And Lord, as many of us are not young any longer, we ask that you will restore our first love for you. That our love for you, rather than being a flickering flame, will be a a growing furnace, a, a fire, a light, so that as the young people look at those who are older than them, they have great examples of people who love Jesus. As a world which is without hope looks for hope, they can see that in your people. Oh Lord, we thank you we have a wonderful hope. We thank you that we have a saviour. We thank you that nothing can separate us from your love. Not superpowers, not evil forces, not even death itself. And Lord, we pray that you will give us that confidence. We thank you that we look forward to hearing your word. And we ask that you will bless and help John as he brings it to us. We pray that you'll speak to our hearts and our souls, we ask. Amen. So, we're going to sing again. Then, after that, we've got the children's talk. And then after that, we've got a second Bible reading. So when the music starts, let's stand and sing of our great privilege.
Oh, good morning, good morning, lovely to see you all. Right, I'm going to start with a question, okay? I can imagine how this is going to go. Who here likes reading? Oh, a bit like that. Uh, I know what you mean. I, I personally love reading, okay? Really, really love it. Okay, so if I look in my bag, I expect some of you may have read something a bit like this. Yeah, have you read that, Harvey? Is that yours? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Is it good? Okay, all right, so I won't bother with that one then. Or I expect some of you have read a book a bit like this David Walliams. Who here likes David Williams? I thought everyone's hands would have gone up then. He's really popular, okay? In, in my school where I work, all the kids love David Williams. I've never read one. Doesn't appeal to me. And I like reading books like this. This is an old book, and it's a, it's a really famous book by an author who, who lived around here. And it's about Sherlock Holmes. Have you ever heard of Sherlock Holmes? Anyone? Yeah, the great detective. I like things like this. You wouldn't believe it, would you? But I truly do. This is one of my favourite books ever. But all these books are all nice, aren't they? They they provide us with entertainment, and it's good to read a little book like that, and it's good to have a laugh and a bit of fun. But, but, there's the big but. There is a book that I can tell you about that is so much better than all those books. So much better than David Williams. So much better than... Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's Sherlock Holmes. There is a book that is worth a million of those. Okay? And this book is this. Have you ever seen one like this before? I expect most of you have. Yeah? This book, to me, personally, is the greatest book ever. Okay? And what I want to talk to you about this morning, very quickly, is I want you to try your best. I'm going to set you a challenge now and I will ask you every time I see you for the next couple of weekends, okay, so I've got all your names down in my head. Who are you? I can't remember. But your name's in there somewhere. I've got all your names down in my head, right, and I'm going to test you. Now, this book offers so much more than these books, okay, because this book is absolutely amazing to read. Okay. There are times in my life when I've thought, oh, I'm a bit worried about that. I don't quite know what to do. I'm, I'm a bit stressed. Right? So I've gone to this book and I've found a part in this book about worry. And God's word in this book has spoken to me how I should be about worry and how I should act when I'm worried and what I should do when I'm worried. And it has offered me so much comfort and helped me through that worrisome time. There's been times when I've felt quite scared and I've thought, oh, you know, I know, me, look, look, can you imagine me being scared? Seriously, but I do. There's been times when I've thought, oh, I'm a bit scared of that. Okay? And then I've gone back to my Bible, which is this one here. It looks slightly different, but it's the same. And I've gone to my Bible and I've found a part in this Bible about being scared and read God's word about what I should do when I'm fearful. And it has helped me 
And it has got me through that part of my life when I was scared. So what I want you to try and do for me is, and, and there's also times when you get a little bit, a bit like that, can't be bothered. Who's ever felt like that? Do you feel like that sometimes? Yeah, you look like you did. I feel like that sometimes. I feel a bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. When you're bored, you feel a bit like that, don't you? So here's what, here's what I'm going to tell you to do. Next time you have that feeling where you go, yeah, I want you to go and dig this out, okay, and just read a little bit. Now, if you can't read, because some of you look a little bit young, Harvey, okay, you might not be able to read. I know you can read. You could always ask your parents or growing up to read you a little bit. So I'm a bit worried. Can you tell me what it says in the Bible about being worried? And this book will help you through any times of difficulty, any times of stress you have. It is the most important book in my life. And believe it or not, I try and read a little bit every single day. So my challenge to you is if you can only read a verse a day, just read a verse. Because from those little verses, you will end up reading chapters. And you will then end up reading whole books of the Bible. And it offers you so much more than all of those other books. It's almost like, I look at it as almost like food. It keeps me topped up. So every day I think, you know, when you're thinking, oh, I'll have a sandwich or a biscuit, I think, oh, quickly have a quick read. And it just keeps me topped up every single day. It enriches me and it helps me. So what I'd love you guys to do this morning is at least every day, try and read just a little bit if it's only a verse. And I promise you, with my hand on my heart, you will notice a massive change in your life. And it's all for the better. So you might not get any more of those days. Your days might be... Can you do that for me? Yeah? Can you all do that? Because I'm going to test you all. I'm going to ask you every week. Okay, and every time I see you at school, at school, wherever I see you around, I'll say, have you read a bit? And I'll tick you off my list, okay? Can you do that for me? Thank you very much for listening. You can go back. Thank you. Thanks, James. Let's pray. Our Father, as we've been hearing James tell us about the beauty of your word, the value of your word, Lord, we ask that it will be something that all of us here don't just think about, but we actually take in, that, that, that we take up James's challenge, that, that we want to be people who know our God and have reliable information. So be with us, we pray. And Lord, we pray for those without Bibles. We think of Asharin in that prison in Iran. Oh Lord, we pray that what he's read will come to his mind, that you will comfort him with that strong sense that you are good, that you are in control and that everything works out for the very best to those who love him. Oh Lord, we pray that as he's in a desperately hard and difficult place, that he will know your peace 
and be able to share the good news of Jesus even in that jail. And Lord, we thank you that the seed of your word is growing and multiplying in that country of Iran. And Lord, we pray that you will continue to bless your word, that your church will grow and that many hearts and many lives will be transformed despite the persecution of wicked men. So we thank you that whilst we can't do much, there's nothing that's too hard for you. And we leave them with you. Amen. And now we come to our next song, uh, which is very appropriate when we think of believers in difficult circumstances and very challenging for us. Because it's not too hard to sing, I'm not ashamed to own my Lord here. But what does it look like on Monday morning? So when the music starts, let's stand and sing. reading is taken from Acts chapter 7, commencing verse 17, which is part of Stephen's speech to the high priest following false accusations made, him, made against him. So this is Stephen speaking about Moses. Verse 17, but as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. At this time Moses was born and he was beautiful in God's sight and he was brought up for three months in his father's house. 
And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. When he was forty years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarrelling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you each wrong? Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbour thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. And a little further on, in the New Testament, which is in the Church Bibles, page 1008, commencing Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. Hebrews 11, commencing verse 23 to 27. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Amen. Thank you for reading those two inspired commentaries on our passage this morning in Exodus uh, chapter 2. And uh, things are brewing here uh, in this story. The rescue is brewing. That seemed to be a a way of summarising where we're at to me. Uh, We're used to tea being in the pot, brewing. It's not yet ready, but it's getting to that point. Um, Beer is brewed at breweries. Storms brew where you sense things are coming together and what might be ahead. And here we have a rescue brewing. A rescue brewing. It's not to be tasted yet, but things are happening which are heading in that direction. You remember that the Israelites are in in great difficulty. They are being beaten, they're being oppressed, they're being ruthlessly dealt with. Uh, God is still with them, as he promised. And uh, when we first started in Exodus last time, do you remember the three uh, ploys of Pharaoh, which were overcome with the multiplication carrying on, the midwives who feared God, and Moses being born. God is building up to a rescue. Uh, But it's not a short-term 
project. Uh, The Prime Minister in his speech this week talked of long-term decisions. Well, whether you think he's being authentic or getting some short-term political gain through that line, I'll leave you to mull over yourself. But here, the problems are needing a long-term solution and God is working out a long-term plan. Israel's rescue is not going to come straight away. It's going to be a very long time in coming. But we do have it brewing here in the the rest of chapter 2 that we're looking at. We see God's uh, rescue leader being developed. We see God's attention to the situation. And we're going to look at it in three chunks this morning. And as we go through, uh, I think we'll find that there are actually quite a few lessons for different ones of us. That's what I've been praying, that different ones of us will feel God's word speaking into our situation. And we're going to look at it with some of the spotlight that comes from the New Testament readings that we also heard read just a moment ago. So firstly, we, we see Moses makes moves. Moses makes moves in the first uh, five or so verses here that we're looking at this morning in Exodus chapter 2. So although uh, stepping into verse 11, we only go on one verse, we actually go on many years. Moses has grown up, we're told, and in Acts 7 we're told that he is now 40, that 40 years have elapsed since what we've been reading about just earlier in the chapter. The the awful hardship continues. A saviour has been born, Moses. He's been educated in, uh, in in with the Egyptians. He's been working amongst them. Time elapses and then something changes. And there's nothing like a a few fights to get our attention, is there? Well, we have some beatings going on here in these verses. You have uh, an Egyptian beating an Israelite. Well, you say that's not surprising. That was the daily experience for lots of them. But then you have somebody fighting back against the Egyptian. And then you have two Israelites duffing each other up and you think, well, what are we to make of all these fights going on in these few verses? Well, I think uh, three sub-points will help us track what's going on here. You have a bold choice first. Moses has got to the point where he's wondering who who he belongs to who he identifies with, whose side he is on. He's got Hebrew parents and they were involved with the early years of his upbringing. He's been educated amongst the Egyptians and he has friends amongst them. And he comes now to what you might call choice time. And maybe you've got to a similar point. Have you? Think a little bit of... of who am I? Um, where do I belong? Who, who do I identify with? Who, who are my people? We have lots of talk of issues of identity and belonging these, these days. 
and maybe you're feeling it towards God and those who follow him. You, you've had an upbringing with uh, Christian folk, maybe, but now you're coming under other influences. Or, or maybe you've known little of things to do with God, but now you're coming under uh, some Christian influence, you're hearing things from the Bible, you're a bit caught in the middle. Perhaps the route without God actually seems to have some things going for it. Bit of freedom, bit of fun, lots of friends, maybe some extra cash thrown into that route. And maybe being linked in with God's people sometimes just feels a little bit plain, a bit boring, a bit ordinary. But you're, you're experiencing a, a pull. You sense that God is real. You, you know actually, deep down, that Jesus is worth following. Well, Moses, uh, despite his background, despite all the, if you like, the glitz and the glamour of the life of the palace, which was there for him, here deliberately sides with God's people. He'd had Egyptian years, he had Egyptian friends, but now his heart was with his family, his heart was with his God. He was siding and caring for the people of Israel. And Hebrews 11 just summarises the choice he made very nicely. Verse 24. By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He wasn't going to stay with that. Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And it poses a question for us. What choice are we going to make? Are you feeling yourself at that crossroads like Moses, where do I belong? Where do my loyalties lie? Who am I going to follow? Are you going to make a bold choice of faith like Moses and identify with Christ and his people? We also have here what you might call a false start. So, Moses is making a bold choice, okay, but how are we to view what he actually did? Did you find yourself thinking that as we read through? Well, is this, is this right, what Moses is up to? Should he be giving the Egyptian a bunch of fives? Is this, is this, is this right? Oh, it's impressive that he, he feels for the underdog, he feels for the oppressed. It's actually godlike in many ways. He sees and his heart goes out to the Israelite who has been badly treated by the Egyptian. But, but was it God's plan for him to take on the Egyptians in this way at this stage, was it? If you're into athletics, you'll be, uh, uh, and especially sprints, you'll be aware of false starts. So, athletes, keen to get ahead, can't hold back and they set off before the gun and it's a full start. And here I think Moses makes a false start. So, he seems to realise that God is going to de deliver Israel through him. 
but he's taken it into his own hands ahead of time. He strikes an Egyptian, I think perhaps he doesn't know his own strength, I'm not quite sure what his intention was, but the man is killed. And then Moses tucks him away in the sand to try and cover up the evidence. Now there's been no uh, direction from God that Moses should handle the situation this way. To start an uprising against the Egyptians. There will be plenty of guidance from God later on. But isn't Moses here being sort of hot-headed, self-confident, taking it into his own hands? Isn't he sort of out of the blocks before the gun? Isn't this a false start? I think that's the way Act 7 looks at what's happening. And it is a reminder to us, isn't it, to, um, to channel our passion in God's way, seeking God's time. And not to steam on ahead with our own sort of worldly wise, um, quick fix solutions to a situation, but to seek God and his word and his time. Easy to say, but quite something to think through, isn't it? Well, we haven't got time to do it, so I'm going to have to leave that with you to think through. Full start. And then you have on the run. Now Moses, um, if you like, freedom fighting actions just don't seem to pay off, do they? He'd looked this way and that way. Somebody said he should have looked upwards. He thought he hadn't been seen, but he obviously was seen and the truth comes home when the next day is breaking up the fight between the two Israelites and it becomes obvious that words got out of what he did to the Egyptian the day before. Well, not surprisingly, it doesn't go down very well with Pharaoh, which is pretty bad news for Moses. But what's also interesting here, actually, is that it hasn't gone down well with the Israelites either. The Israelite sneers at him when he tries to intervene. Verse 14, he answered, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Israel has no time for its saviour figure. That's the slant that Acts 7 takes on this. It won't be the last time that Israel turns against those who come to rescue them. So Moses, realising what Pharaoh wants to do, not actually very popular with the Israelites, heads clear of Egypt. He's on the run. He heads, uh, he crosses the sea to the, to the east and he stays in the area of the Midianites. So that's our first chunk. Moses makes some moves, bold face behind it, 
making a, a good choice in terms of his identifying. Good lesson for us there. But the way he takes it forward is a full start, not following God's guidance. Some lessons there for us. And he's not popular with Pharaoh or with the Israelites. And you get in an early flavour of rejecting the saviour figure. Different things happening there, you see, if we look at it through the New Testament spotlights. So, he's off. And he's crossed. And he's in the land of Midian. And we move on next to Moses' wilderness years. His wilderness years. You might think that Moses has, has blown it. Uh, one false start, one false start, and you're out, was the policy, you might remember, at the Tokyo Games. There was a bit of a fury about it, that somebody did one false start and actually out of the whole competition. It seemed quite strict. I don't know whether it's carried on, whether it's going to be there for the next Olympics. But it, it's not God's policy here with Moses, with his false start. God has plans for him where he's gone to. And maybe you feel um, somewhat in the outback. You feel away from where the action is happening, where you would like to be, where your heart is. But maybe God is using these experiences to mould you and he still has a, a use for you after them. There's two things in this phase I want to notice. First is this, saving by a well. We read an incident near the start of his time in the area of Midian. And it's quite impressive, really. Uh, seven sisters, uh, looking over their father's sheep, come to the well where Moses has parked himself. The local shepherds come too, and the local shepherds are bullies, and they intimidate the women, and they frighten them off, back to the back of the queue so that they can get their, their, their flocks in, well fed at the well is the plan. And many of us, I suspect, I don't know how you would react, and many of us would shrink into the background, wouldn't we? Especially if we're a newcomer on the scene. I don't know the culture, I don't want to get myself into trouble, I'm just new into the area. But what does Moses do? Verse 17, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. Sent the other shepherds packing. Though he's made his mistakes, it's clear that God has given this man the character, if you like, of a deliverer. What's his character like? He's got a strong sense of justice. He's really concerned for the downtrodden. He's compassionate. He's a man of courage. He's somebody that saves. Here he saves by a well. And Moses, as a rescuer, he does point us forward. He's like, if you like, a silhouette to the great saviour to come. He Makes us think, doesn't he, of Jesus? You see some similarities? 
between Moses and Jesus. Maybe you see some differences, do you? Between Moses and Jesus here. Um, Jesus doesn't take shortcuts, does he? Like Moses. He was tempted to shortcut by Satan to go straight to the glory, avoiding the cross, but uh, Jesus is faithful and patient, keeps to God's plan. Jesus is stirred with compassion for the downtrodden, for the captives, for the outcasts. I think we had read last week, Luke 4, where Jesus says, The Spirit is a law of the Lord is upon me, because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. He has a compassionate concern to feed and, and refresh and bless and give life. And uh, I haven't read it elsewhere, so maybe I'm jumping, the, jumping ahead a bit of things, but it made me some connections with Jesus and the woman at the well, at the well, showing compassion, talking of everlasting life, introducing the message of forgiveness. Jesus, too, is rejected by his own people. John chapter 1, he's... He came to his own, and his own knew him not. So it is just good to ask here, isn't it? As Moses points good ways, sometimes inadequately, towards the real Saviour to come, do we receive that Saviour, or do we reject him? Do we say, who made you to run my life? Who made God's son to be in charge of things? I'm not having you sort things out for me. Or are we happy to receive and welcome the saviour that God has sent? There's another aspect to this time in the wilderness years, developing in the desert. Uh, So there are some wilderness years. We have it as a phrase, perhaps you've heard it, wilderness years. Who do you think of for wilderness years? Uh, Most of you are a little bit into history, probably think of um, Winston Churchill. We say of it when a a, a public figure has some time when they're sort of not to do with things and seem to be forgotten. And you may know that uh, Winston Churchill has what's called his wilderness years, just before and in the run-up to World War II, when he then came out of those and became a, a national leader to, in so many ways, be used to deliver us from the attack of the Nazis. Well, Moses here literally has his wilderness years. He's in the wilderness. He's in desert country. And there, we're told, he he was welcomed by um, the dad of the shepherdesses, by rule, Jethro is his other name. He marries. 
and is cared for and provided for in his time there in the wilderness. He even names his... Uh, but he's remote, isn't he? He's remote from the action. He's a long way off. And he even names one of his children, Gershom, because he knows he's a foreigner in a foreign land. And uh, Moses is there ages. Sarah ages. This isn't a short little trip. Another 40 years pass, according to Acts chapter 7. Wasted years? In the middle of nowhere? But God is developing him. God is waiting his time. Uh, Moses has had nearly 40 years in the corridor of powers in Egypt. He now spends nearly 40 years in the desert areas where he will actually lead God's people in the future. He's going to be well placed, isn't he, to lead God's people with the Egyptian experience and the desert experience. Maybe it's not quite such a wasted time overall in God's providence. And something to think about here for us. Um, God uses the times we go through to, to develop us. None of us are going to be quite the sort of leader that Moses was. But God uses our hodgepodge of experiences to, to mould us to be more like Jesus and to be in a position to serve better. So your work experience, I've certainly found that. Your family experience, or lack of one. Your health issues, your difficult relationships, your period of caring for others, those frustrating setbacks. Romans 8 reminds us that all things work together for good. God is at work through all of them. The glad times, the sad times, the bad times, the mad times. Sometimes when you feel you're wasting away in the middle of nowhere, God is moulding and preparing you to be more like Jesus and to serve others better. Developing in the desert. Salvation, as you like, is, is brewing. Things are happening there in the Midian desert. Then we come to um, three beautiful verses to finish the chapter. And I've just called it this, on God's radar. On God's radar. 
Time is going on, years are going on, decades are passing. You know, it, it must have been hard. The Israelites are still wincing under the difficulty. YPs are getting into midlife and there's no difference in the situation. The older generation uh, are passing away and things are still the same. Let's get a sense of the time of this. Uh, They are groaning under the difficulties. In fact, they're now praying like they've never prayed before. Is God's promise still alive? Is anything going to change? Is anyone out there? They must have felt. And then we get this beautiful snippet at the end of the chapter. Verse 23. During those many days the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. We get a peep behind the scenes. And what an encouraging peep it is. Four things said that God was doing or had done. God heard, God remembered, God saw, God knew. So encouraging for us, I think, in our struggles. Reminds me of the disciples on on the lake. Do you remember when uh, they were out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee? They were struggling against the wind. Uh, They were feeling alone. Uh, They were in the dark of the middle of the night and in Mark, we read that Jesus saw them in their struggling. And Christian, maybe you feel that you are struggling. You feel alone in that. You feel somewhat in the dark in your circumstances. It feels as though it's gone on such a long time. You are groaning. You are praying. And these verses help you to remember that you're on God's radar. He has heard, he has remembered, he has seen, he knows. I don't know which of those four you find most encouraging. Heard, remembered, saw, knew. The sort of accumulation of all four is just wonderful in itself, I think. But I think probably the most startling is the last, he knew. That means more than he knew the facts. In the Bible, knew usually means personal concern, love, intimacy. God God knew. He's on their case. He, He has a heart for them. And what's especially striking is that here it has no object, it has no follow on. It's just, if you like, left dangling. You have God heard their groaning, God remembered his covenant, God saw the people of Israel and God knew and it's just sort of left dangling there and 
and that almost has a power, a comprehensiveness. He knew the whole scene and situation. He was well aware and concerned. And God knows your pathway. You're not forgotten. It may seem to you that others are oblivious, and perhaps they are. It may seem that time just stretches on and the situation doesn't change. Some of you are confined to home. Some of you are confined to your room, those listening on may be watching. Some of you, I know at the minute, are confined to your bed. God knows. He's not forgotten. God will act. He may bring deliverance now in his kindness. He often brings deliverance in this life. There are improvements. We bounce back. There is a a new phase that we enter. But for believers, one day there certainly will be deliverance. Wonderful, complete, full deliverance. So the rescue is is brewing for the Israelites. The Saviour has come. God is concerned. And rescue has been brewing, if you like, for believers. Jesus came the first time to give life and forgiveness. Jesus will come a second time to give final deliverance. God knows and God is concerned. So hopefully some lessons I've been praying that might apply to different circumstances from this passage, that God's living word might be alive to us and our circumstances. Well, we're going to sing our final song, which brings a a number of these sort of themes together. It's the song, Within the busy rush of life, I find a resting place when I submit to Christ my Lord and let him set my pace.
Father, we thank you for your word, its depths, its many lessons, the way it points to your character. We pray that what we've heard this morning will be a real blessing to us in going forward. Amen.